Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our Bible Ponder for this week. We're continuing our series on the Book of Lamentations tonight. And again, I want to focus on the poetic nature of this. So for a lot of our previous series, series is we've done a lot of investigation into the sort of historical and cultural contexts of the text we're reading. And, and I generally comment along the text as I read. Um, and last week, what I did with the first acrostic poem of Lamentations was I just read the whole thing in one go so that we could hear it in a more poetic way. And I'm going to do the same again here with chapter two. Here in chapter two, we have our second acrostic poem. It is again 22 verses, each verse starting with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet from the letter A or Aleph all the way down to the end. And so there's elements of Hebrew poetry, including the acrostic, which is difficult to convey in English. And so often what English translations do is opt for um, a, a good English translation over trying to convey the sort of um, poetic structure of Hebrew because you can't really transfer it one-to-one, -one. Um, but it still has a lot of poetic feeling to it. And the translations do capture some of that. What I want us to look out for especially, and I talked about this a little bit last week, but especially with this um, acrostic poem, I want us to look out for a couple of things and, and listen for them. And the first is a sense of sort of national trauma. What the people of Israel, the people of Judah would have felt about the fact that their city was destroyed. This wasn't just a, a place they lived or, um, you, you know, not just their home or, or a sense of identity or their temple or their worship. It's so many things tied together. But especially at the heart of it is the feeling of um, abandonment or punishment by God. There's a sense throughout Lamentations that, um, that God is in some ways the cause or the allower of the punishment, but at the same time it feels as though um, their whole way of life has been upended. There was the feeling and assumption that by following the law, by following the temple worship and doing all of these things that God would not abandon them. God would not abandon Jerusalem. God would not abandon the temple. And when Jerusalem is destroyed, the temple is destroyed, the Ark of the Covenant carried away, there is this feeling that everything you thought you knew is destroyed. Um, it's everything to do with the promises of God to your ancestors, the, the way you live, live your life. It's so deeply wound in with identity that I think the, the phrase I use, national trauma, is really present. And so you can see why at the time of Jesus, when Jerusalem is rebuilt, the temple is rebuilt, and it's magnificent, and everything's kind of back up and running, they wanted to hold on to that so strongly. And so it isn't, you know, for them, there there is the sense that it's not the same temple that Solomon built. It's not the same city. They are under Roman rule. But having the city, having the temple is so important to them and so powerful that when Jesus talks about an impending destruction of Jerusalem, which then did take place in 70 AD, and the war that kind of and, and siege that took place in the years before 70 when it was finally destroyed and the temple um, burned to the ground. 
um, they would have been very defensive about that because again, it's not even just, hey, don't you talk about my city getting destroyed. It's that bringing up of, of, of the trauma of this first event of the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple and that national trauma. Um, there's also um, quite a, a lot about, again, just the, their way of life, the way they saw everything and, and the, the very um, visceral um, destruction that, that went on. We know from other bits of the Old Testament that the, temp, the, the walls were not completely destroyed. You know, obviously there are a few people left and some of the walls are left when Nehemiah comes back and they rebuild the walls. There are bits of the wall left that he then works out but they would have had to figure out what was stable what wasn't and again the the sense of fear and the sense of danger that's present all of that is so deeply visceral and, and these laments are i think really really powerful for capturing how um deep and full the the sense of of um enmeshment, the, the temple and the worship of God and the sacrificial system and all of these things, they're not just different bits of your life and it's not just that we take one bit, take the other. They're all bound up together with the promises to Abraham, with the, the way you do things every day, with the, the Sabbath that you keep every week. All of this national identity is bound up together. And so I think the, the idea of the temple and the city of Jerusalem being destroyed and the people carried off in exile, um, don't think you can really overstate how impactful that was on the identity of the Jewish people, especially once you get to the time of Jesus. You know, some 500 years later, they've returned to the land, they've rebuilt the city, all of that has happened. But the exile still looms so large in their psyche that it is one of the central um, things that we have to keep in mind when we're looking at anything to do with Jesus. The exile looms so large. And um, I think this acrostic poem specifically does help us um, see how traumatic it was and therefore why it would have loomed so large even 500 years later at the time of Jesus. So um, let's read Lamentations chapter 2. I'm reading from uh, the NRSV. How the Lord in his anger has humiliated daughter Zion. He has thrown down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has destroyed without mercy all the dwellings of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of daughter Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn his right hand from them in the face of the enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has bent his bow like an enemy, with his right hand set like a foe. He has killed all in whom we took pride in the tent of daughter Zion. He has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has destroyed Israel. He has destroyed all its palaces, laid in ruins its strongholds, and multiplied in daughter Judah, mourning and lamentation. He has broken down his booth like a garden. He has destroyed his tabernacle. The Lord has abolished in Zion festival and Sabbath, and in his fierce indignation has spurned king and priest. 
The Lord has scorned his altar, disowned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. A clamor was raised in the house of the Lord as on a day of festival. The Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of daughter Zion. He stretched the line. He did not withhold his hand from destroying. He caused rampart and wall to lament. They languish together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has ruined and broken her bars. Her king and princes are among the nations. Guidance is no more, and her prophets obtain no vision from the Lord. The elders of daughter Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have thrown dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young girls of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out on the ground because of the destruction of my people, because infants and babes faint in the streets of the city. They cry to their mothers, where is bread and wine? As they faint like the wounded in the streets of the city as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. What can I say for you? To what compare you, O daughter Jerusalem? To what can I liken you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter Zion? For vast is the sea, the vast is the sea is your ruin. Who can heal you? Your prophets have seen you for, for seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes but have seen oracles for you that are false and misleading. All who pass along the way clap their hands at you. They hiss and wag their heads at daughter Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth? All your enemies open their mouths against you. They hiss, they gnash their teeth, they cry, we have devoured her. Ah, this is the day we longed for. At last we have seen it. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his threat as he ordained long ago. He has demolished without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. Cry aloud to the Lord, O wall of daughter Zion. Let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Give yourself no rest, your eyes no respite. Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. Look, O Lord, and consider, to whom have you done this? Should women eat their offspring, the children they have borne? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? The young and old are lying on the ground in the streets. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. In the day of your anger, you have killed them, slaughtering without mercy. You invited my enemies from all around as if for a day of festival. And on the day of the anger of the Lord, no one escaped or survived. Those whom I bore and reared, my enemy has destroyed. You can feel how visceral the pain of this event was, and this poem really um, conveys that with very vivid and, and um, in, in many ways disturbing imagery of the pain and the hunger and the suffering that took place when Jerusalem is sacked. One other comment I'll make that um, I think is interesting biblically is looking at some of the language and the idea of um, 
of God pouring out his anger and, and pouring out wrath. And that, that kind of poetic imagery pops up again also in the book of Revelation. And that's because Revelation is in many ways a poetic book. And part of the, the poetic style it uses is called apocalyptic imagery. And a lot of that is, is not um, literal at all. It, it's poetic. It's meant to be very evocative, to paint with pictures a, an idea of a spiritual reality that's parallel to, to our human reality. And so, so much of it is influenced by um, Jewish literature of the Old Testament, but especially kind of an intertestamental period in the time between um, when this all took place and the New Testament. Um, but you can see some of that language in there, and I think that's really helpful biblically to, to have as a reference point for reading something like Revelation. But as, again, especially to keep in mind, um, reading something like this against um, the backdrop of Jesus's actions um, throughout his whole life, but especially in his final week when he's in Jerusalem and when he's speaking of the destruction of the temple and he's driving up money changers and he's making all of these proclamations against the elite. Um, there is a real um, sense of, of deep uh, pain and trauma from, from these events. And um, I think this, this acrostic poem really does bring that out very viscerally. So thanks for, for joining us for um, the reading this evening and for this Bible Ponder. We'll continue on um, next week. We'll look at chapter three, which is quite a bit longer. And so we'll maybe divide that up into a couple smaller chunks um, to read and, and look at. But we'll see what we get to for next week. Thanks for joining us. Have a good evening.